You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, In 1964, Lyndon B. Johnson was running against Barry Goldwater uh, for president. Johnson, LBJ, was president at the time. He was JFK's vice president. He became president in 1963 after JFK was assassinated by, I think, Oliver Stone. Anyway, Goldwater was the GOP nominee. He was a senator from Arizona. And Arizona was just as right-wing then as it is now. More right-wing, arguably, back then. John Bircher's then, forced birthers now, stop the commies then, stop the steal now. But it was a long time ago before most of you were born. Hell, it was before I was born, mostly. Most of the 1964 presidential campaign happened before I was born. I was four weeks old in November of 1964 when Johnson crushed Goldwater in a fucking landslide. Goldwater was a conservative and a military hawk, and he didn't think we were dropping enough bombs on Vietnam in 1964. Here's an unfun fact. The United States was dropping plenty of bombs on Vietnam in 1964. We would ultimately drop 8 million tons of bombs on Vietnam before that war ended in 1973. Twice as many bombs as were dropped during the entire Second World War by everybody, not just the U.S., by The United States, Japan, Germany, Italy, the UK, the Soviet Union. But in 1964, Goldwater didn't think we were dropping enough bombs on Vietnam or the right kind of bombs. He wanted us to use nukes. That was just one of the things wrong with Goldwater. He thought LBJ should nuke Vietnam. And he promised, if elected, to nuke Vietnam. Hell, Goldwater wanted field commanders in Vietnam to have the authority on their own to use tactical nuclear weapons. Even if it meant risking a nuclear confrontation with Moscow, that would end life on this planet. Goldwater's campaign slogan in 1964, in your heart, you know he's right. Democrats countered with, in your guts, you know he's nuts. I think it might be time to bring that slogan back just one last time. Republican office holders, Republican candidates, Trump ball washers in every state, running for every office, up and down the ticket. In your guts, you know they're nuts. Like the candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano, who said this weekend that on day one, after he becomes governor, if he becomes governor, which hopefully he will not, on day one, he's going to ban pole dancing in Pennsylvania's elementary schools. I guess it should be noted here that the governor of Pennsylvania can only ban pole dancing in public schools. Catholic schools can continue to teach pole dancing. Mastriano also said he's going to ban porn in public school libraries. Uh, Even when I was a kid, long before cell phones and social media, which is where kids get porn, not the school library, school libraries were ghost towns. It was literally where we got sent as a punishment. We did detention in the library. We didn't go read or peruse the stacks in the libraries at school. If there are books with sexual content in school libraries, like, oh, I don't know, cutting edge literary erotica like Judy Bloom, maybe they're there to get kids to look up from their phones for a nanosecond. 
Meanwhile, in Colorado, the GOP candidate for governor there, Heidi Ganahl, claims that kids in more than 30 school districts in Colorado alone identify as cats. She said she had to pull her own kids out of their public school because it was, quote, overrun by children who identify as cats. In Washington state, we've got a candidate for U.S. Senate here who thinks she's going to win by suing Starbucks and the Seahawks. Attacking hometown heroes is not how you win statewide elections. The list goes on and on. Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, in your guts, you know he's nuts. Katie Lake in Arizona, in your guts, you know she's nuts. Marjorie Taylor Greene, in your guts, you know she's nuts. Also, hey fellas, single. Goldwater was a dangerous nut, a threat to the planet nut. Electing him then risked ending the world. Electing Republicans now? Risks ending our democracy. LBJ crushed Goldwater by pointing out again and again and again that he was a nut. QAnoners, Pizza Gators, Trump ralliers, just as dangerous, just as nutty. And you know what? I think they know it. I think in their guts, they know they're nuts. Something else that works about in your guts, you know they're nuts. That use of the they-them pronoun. Republicans are triggered by they-them pronouns. And by the time they figure out we're using the plural they-them and not the singular they-them that drives them nuts, the midterms will be over. Now, I realize nuts is a little problematic. Some people think nuts is ableist. I did a little Googling for non-ableist alternatives and the suggestions didn't really work. Like outrageous, doesn't quite capture it. Something can be Outrageous and great, Alexander McQueen's Clothes, the musical Book of Mormon, the films of John Waters. Also outrageous, doesn't really rhyme with anything. And some of the other suggestions seemed just as problematic, equally problematic, similarly problematic, like bananas. Nuts, bananas, how is the former offensive and the latter somehow is not? To say something is bananas or to say something is nuts is not a diagnosis. It's the name of a foodstuff that means when used colloquially, when used as slang, that something about a person, place, thing, candidate, or entire political party just ain't right. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, a caller asked what a sex therapist does So I invited a newly minted sex therapist, Julia Simone Fogelson, onto the show to explain what a sex therapist does. We also talk about what sex advice columnists do for our readers that sex therapists do not do for their clients. To find out what that is, you'll have to be a Magnum sub. You can subscribe to the Magnum Lovecast at savage.love. You get more calls with the Magnum, more answers, more guests, and no ads, plus special bonus content like our Sex and Politics podcast, where I do long-form interviews with interesting guests like Michelle Goldberg and Mike Pesca. And you also get Sack Lunch, our monthly Zoom hangout, exclusively for Magnum Savage Lovecast subscribers. And speaking of Sack Lunch, which usually takes place on the first Thursday of the month, this month's Sack Lunch will be next Wednesday, October 12th. I'm sneaking away this week for a little birthday trip, but I'm looking forward to catching up with my Magnum subs next Wednesday, October 12th at 12 noon Pacific. All right, on to the show. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. 
This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Get food from your favorite restaurants, get groceries, get household essentials delivered right to your door. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-something-year-old queer human living in the mainland U.S., and I have a partner in which we engage in sex using condom for STI and STD reasons, but also as birth control because I'm not on pill or IUD. But I really want his cum inside of me. And I was wondering if he, he could like come into a jar and then wait a certain amount of time for the cum to die and not be like active. And then we could use his cum as lube when we have sex with a condom. I don't know if that's possible in a way where I like don't get pregnant. And if so, how long do I have to wait to have it come inside of me? Well, I Googled that for you and it turns out sperm can only live outside the body for about 15 to 30 minutes. So if your primary concern is impregnation, your boyfriend can come in a jar. You can set that jar out. Maybe he should come in a wide jar so more of the sperm or the semen is exposed to the air and the light and wait 30 minutes, wait 45 minutes to be on the safe side. I don't have the time right now to Google for you how long you have to let that sperm sit out for gonorrhea or syphilis or chlamydia or other sexually transmitted infections that you might be worried about, HIV, for those also to pass away, for those to die, for those not, for those bacteria and viruses not to be a threat. But if pregnancy is your primary concern and they're the reason why you're using condoms. Yeah, I Google that for you. You have to wait about 15 to 30 minutes. I would urge you to wait 45 minutes to be on the safe side and then you can use his cum as lube. Yeah, you can do that. You can have his cum inside you. You could also have his cum inside you if he went and got a vasectomy. I'm saying that because Nancy would want me to say that. Hi, Dan. Midwestern woman with two kids and a sexless marriage calling for an update. I moved out for two weeks and couldn't bear being away from my kids. It was truly painful. So I moved back in with a goal to try to make things work. I've been seeing a sex therapist, and I hope to begin to find ways of seeing my husband as sexual and one that I can enjoy again sexually. As of now, the thought still makes me cringe. Last year, I mentioned open up, opening up our marriage, and after reading and listening and educating ourselves on what that would mean, when it really came down to it, he backpedaled. In May, before I moved back in, I did say that having an open relationship would be something that, for me, is the price of admission. But since then, I've been absolutely dreading bringing it back up. One, because I don't want to be denied again. And two, I'm afraid he'll put a contingency on it. Sex with him first before sex with anyone else, which I'm not sure I can physically do. I'm stuck again, and I'd love your advice. You already issued an ultimatum to your husband. You told him that 
you required the relationship to be open or you weren't moving back in. Presumably he wanted you to move back in and he agreed to those terms. So in a sense, well, not in a sense, in actuality, in reality, you already have his permission. You already have his consent for this relationship now, your marriage, to be sexually open. You can and perhaps should be sportsmanlike of you to remind him if you're going to go start fucking somebody else that you have his consent to go fuck other people and he has your consent to go fuck other people. You are no longer expecting, at least at the moment, sex from each other, but you're also no longer an impediment to him seeking sex with other people, nor do you view him as an impediment to you seeking sex with other people. If he slaps a contingency on it, if he says, okay, okay, we can open the relationship, you can fuck other people, but you have to start fucking me first. Well, I guess you could go to your sex therapist and say, what magic pill can I take to make me want to fuck my husband? What magic words can you sex therapist say that are going to make me want to fuck my husband? But there ain't no magic pill and there ain't no magic words. If you're physically repulsed by your husband and have been for a long time, you're probably going to stay there. You're probably never going to see him as well. He's sexual. He's still a sexual being. You're never going to see him as somebody that you want to have sex with. That doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't see him as a sexual being, even if you don't want to fuck him. One last argument you could use with your husband is however long this marriage has been sexless, you saw him as not sex and you're currently not attracted to him. Be honest. You moved the fuck out. Seems like this is a time and moved the fuck back in. Seems like this is a time when you can risk a little brutal honesty. It was a sexless relationship, a sexless marriage. You stopped seeing him as sexual. You stopped being able to conceive of you two being intimate. And right now, what he represents to you erotically in your imagination is all the reasons you can't. He is a block. Maybe if you were fucking other people, if you were free to fuck other people, the quote unquote responsibility of having to fuck him would be less of a lady boner killer than it seems to be right now. And I say, maybe not necessarily so that you're going to go fuck other people and suddenly want to fuck your husband again. But that may be the last thing you haven't tried. That may be your final Hail Mary pass. And seems to me that if you've been in a sexless relationship for a long time, you moved out because of it, you moved back in on the condition that he agreed that you could open the relationship. Seems to me that you and your husband, maybe instead of you seeing a sex therapist who's going to twiddle all the knobs and somehow magically make you want to fuck your husband again, that what you two should be doing is having a conversation right now about adjusting your expectations and recognizing, admitting to each other what your marriage is, which is companionate perhaps high conflict companionate right now because of the moving out and the ultimatums and the moving back in and the, you know, the anger and the the resentment that's built up over time. But if you can adjust your expectations, if you're no longer expecting sex from him, he's no longer expecting sex from you, but neither of you is expected to live without sex anymore. Maybe it'll become a low conflict companionate marriage. Maybe you'll come to enjoy each other's company again. 
but renegotiating the terms of your commitment to your husband so that it's companionate and low conflict uh, still doesn't mean you're going to want to fuck him. But yeah, who knows? Maybe once you're getting it elsewhere, you'll be a little bit more excited about maybe occasionally getting it at home too. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Honey, you are so amazing. And you don't let the world know about all the work you've been doing and the stuff you've been selling. I would take it on for you, but I'm busy. Just let Squarespace help. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website. Engage with your audience and sell anything. Your products, content you create, and even your time. You guys, mailing lists are hard. You do not want to try and organize this aspect of your promotion yourself. Squarespace does it perfectly. Get the right message to the right people, collect email addresses through your website, and send subscribers the information that they care about most with unique mailing lists. What about videos? Create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story and grow your audience and drive sales. And it's time for social time. Display posts from your social profiles on your website. Automatically push website content to your favorite social media channel so your followers can share it too. This is all just the tip of the iceberg. If you want your website to work well and look beautiful, Squarespace has you covered. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We like it when you do this. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. Uh, I've got a simple terminology question that I, I'd be curious to hear your take on. Most people know, as far as I know, that, you know, what, uh, you know, what a versatile, you know, a verse or a switch is, you know, someone who, uh, you know, who's sometimes top, sometimes bottom. At least last I checked, verse and switch mean basically the same thing. But is there a special term for someone who kind of goes between traditional top and service top? Does that person just, just say, you know, I'm a top and I have moods? Is there, is it a variation on verse? Does it have its own term? Should it have its own term? I think there are too many terms and that we should declare some sort of moratorium moratorium and maybe not cook up any more terms for, I don't know, the next five or 10 years. I also think, I also know that you're wrong, that verse and switch don't mean exactly the same thing. People who I think, I know it's obvious you're talking about kink here. You're talking about topping and bottoming in a kink context. But people use verse who are completely vanilla. People use verse to mean they can top during anal intercourse or they can bottom during anal intercourse. When people talk about being switches, they're talking about topping and bottoming, switching between topping and bottoming during kink or DS or BDSM relationships or hookups or playdates or scenes. So a switch is somebody who sometimes enjoys bottoming, subbing uh, for, you know, because they vibe with somebody more as a sub, sometimes enjoys topping because they vibe with somebody as a dom. You meet a lot of people out there who are like switches who like to dominate guys who are younger than they are and like to submit to guys who are older than they are. Switches. A top who is sometimes a top and sometimes a service top. Well, that's just a top who's in negotiation with a bottom. Some bottoms want the top to take them on a ride and want to submit to the top's desires and really get off on 
the top doing what the top wants with them. That's also what the sub wants. That's the magic ingredient. The top and the bottom, the dom and the sub are figuring out where their overlap is and rolling with it. And it can be the case that somebody as a sub really vibes with the dom being completely in charge and doing, you know, within certain pre-negotiated limits or within certain pre-negotiated boundaries, whatever the top wants. That same top, that same person can meet a sub who only wants the top to do very specific certain things and is looking for someone who's a service top, who's going to hit those marks, not really roll anything out or challenge the sub to endure or get through anything on the way to the things that the sub enjoys most, the rewards the sub enjoys most. Is that person a switch in the same sense, somebody who sometimes tops, sometimes bottoms is a switch or verse in the same way, somebody who with vanilla gay sex sometimes gets fucked and sometimes fucks? No, I don't think so. I think that's just a top. And that's what tops do. Tops bind subs, they negotiate with subs, and then they create scenes together with the sub that work for both of them. Sometimes those scenes are dictated almost entirely by the sub's desires. Sometimes the sub's desire is for the top to dictate the terms of those scenes. So I guess what I see here is a distinction that you're attempting to make that doesn't have much of a difference and therefore does not need its own term, its own name, or its own fucking pride flag. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. I know a lot about you guys. You talk to me all the time. If you're like me, you've been seeking comfort wherever you can find it. Thank goodness we have our Helix mattress. Actually, Helix mattresses in the primary bedroom and the guest bedroom too at home. They're there to receive us every night. My Helix mattress is our sanctuary and you should have one too. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. Everybody is unique and everybody sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, plus, and I love these, enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz and I was matched with a Midnight Lux mattress because I wanted something that has medium firmness and Terry and I both tend to move around a lot at night. I don't even want to remember our old mattress, our old mattresses, good riddance to them. Not only is our Helix mattress the best I've ever slept on, but the setup was fast and easy. Helix mattresses are delivered in a box straight to your door for free. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, and I know you will, but if you don't, they will pick it up and give you a full refund. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash 
Savage. That's helixsleep.com slash Savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at-risk youth. I'm a 31-year-old female calling with a question regarding when is it ethical to fuck another woman's husband? So for context, I was in an abusive relationship for five years and left about six months ago. I'm a graduate student with a really rigorous schedule and I don't have the time that a partner deserves to date. And I also just frankly don't think I'm in good enough working order yet, but I'm working really hard on it. The man in question is much, much older than I am. I met him while I was working COVID in a critical care unit. He's a physician and we had a brief but very intense relationship where honestly the best sex that I've ever had in my life. His wife knows that he has never successfully sustained a monogamous relationship. They never discussed monogamy. He has complete autonomy in his schedule. She doesn't ask him where he's going or why. She never goes into his phone. They have entirely separate and private lives, but they cohabitate. And she has, she's a widow and she has two teenage children that live with them. He married her very quickly after we stopped sleeping together, has a habit of being a caretaker and is unsatisfied in his marriage, but feels obligated to help her and care for these children with her, just classic him. So my question is, is it okay for me to fuck him? I really, really want to. I can make a reasonable argument about how it's keeping him sane enough to be married. I can also make a a really reasonable argument about a reasonable assumption on his wife's part of monogamy. And I feel very conflicted and I do not want to disrupt the home that these children are now in. They've been through way too much. I guess I'm a little confused about all these overlapping timelines. You met this man this doctor, during COVID, you're six months out of an abusive relationship and he married this other woman and became a step-parent to her teenage children after you two stopped fucking. It's a little hard to pinpoint exactly when all of this went down. Were you fucking him years ago at the height of COVID? You say you met, uh, you know, in, in a caretaker role during COVID and then he married this woman when you two stopped fucking years ago and then later you got out of an abusive relationship and now you're thinking about fucking him again and wanting my permission to do so. Look, you say you're not in good working order and you want to fuck this guy. Are you close enough to good working order that you can refrain from catching feelings from this guy? Are you close enough to good working order that you can not want more than he can give you. You say that you're working on yourself, working on getting closer to good working order when you imagine what it is you're going to want when you're in good working order, when you fully recovered from the abusive relationship you only recently got out of, when you imagine you know, a couple of years into the future if you've been fucking this guy for the next two or three years, are you going to want a committed relationship with him? Are you going to want more from him than he can give you? If you think that you might, and you're at all concerned about this woman, his current wife, and her kids who come to depend on him 
as a stepfather, well then obviously you shouldn't fuck him. If this much older man isn't somebody that you want as a husband ever, even if he was available to you, okay, well then you could go ahead and fuck him. Also, everything that you know about his relationship, I assume you know from him that he has complete autonomy, that he and his wife live pretty much separate lives that she knew going in that he'd never honored successfully a monogamous commitment. The implication there is that he's made another monogamous commitment only, you know, asterisk. She knows that monogamy, a degree of difficulty that presents for him that he's never managed to pull off. And it might be irrational of her to expect that he will manage to be monogamous with and for her after failing to be monogamous in every other relationship he's ever been in. But with so many straight couples, monogamy is the default setting. It's unquestioned. So even knowing everything that you know about their relationship, if he's telling you the truth about their relationship, even if you think looking at him and who he is, that it would have been irrational for her to expect monogamy from him if they didn't have a conversation about it, it may very well be what she expects from him. She may not be, you say, going through his phone, looking for evidence that he's cheating. She may not want to know if he cheats, but she would still, highly likely, she would still probably regard him fucking around with somebody else, somebody named you. She would regard that as a betrayal. And some people can coast through life knowing that maybe their partner cheated on them, but knowing for sure their partner cheated on them and their partner knowing that they know that somehow that emotional reality can be something that they can't live with. They can't stay in the marriage knowing what they suspected, you know, knowing that it happened and knowing that their partner knows that they know. For some people, that's the got to get out of this marriage predicament. So just because she's not looking for evidence doesn't mean she would be unbothered by evidence if it came looking for her. And sometimes evidence of an infidelity comes looking for a spouse who doesn't want to find it. A busybody neighbor, a coworker, one of his kids, teenager, gets wind of it somehow. He's indiscreet and it gets back to the wife, even if she wasn't looking for the evidence, even if you didn't go to her because you suddenly decided you wanted to be married to this man and you wanted to stage a big bananas confrontation, it could blow her life up and it could blow yours up. If you get to a place where you realize you've fallen in love with this guy after fucking him for years and having the best sex of your life with this older doctor for years and years, it could fuck your life up and set you back. If in two or three years you want this man to marry you and he chooses the woman he already chose, the woman he married, chooses to stay with her over ending that marriage and marrying you. If that's something that you ever want, and it might not be something that you ever want. Honest to God, if you can answer that question honestly, and the answer is no, you would never want to be married to this man. You would never want to be queen of England. You would always want to be the side piece. Then I guess you could go ahead and not fuck him, but go ahead and resume fucking him. You're a busy person. You've got back-to-back meetings, errands to run, chores to take care of, 
What's the secret to clearing your to-do list and leaving a little extra time for yourself to do the things you'd like to do? How about a little help from DoorDash? You can get dinner, household essentials, and everything on your grocery list delivered to you. Along with great food from restaurants you love, you can now get groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash. Get drinks, snacks, and other household essentials in under an hour. Every time you place an order for pickup or delivery from your favorite neighborhood spots, you're setting off a chain reaction that helps give back to the people who make your neighborhood unique. With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants. With DoorDash, you're not just getting the things you love, you're supporting the community you love too. From the stores and restaurants to the dashers driving around, each purchase provides a new opportunity for everyone involved because with DoorDash, there is a neighborhood of good in every order. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code SAVAGE. Don't forget to use the code SAVAGE for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Hi, Dan. I'm a 55-year-old straight cis man living in the UK. I have been in a fantastic long-distance relationship for nearly 10 years with a smart, funny, beautiful and very sexy woman who's everything I could ever wish for. There has always been an incredible sexual chemistry between us. Both of us feel that we have found what we always dreamed of sexually but have never had before. We've always been loving, playful, energetic and dirty and willing to experiment sexually within our committed monogamous relationship. We've always talked about everything and fantasised and fucked and made love together beautifully. Then, three years ago, my partner was struck down by Functional Neurological Disorder, or FND, which has left her in constant chronic physical pain. This, of course, has totally changed our sex life. I'm amazed that she still wants sex at all, but she doesn't want to give up on it. She wants whatever physical pleasure she can still get, and she wants to please me. She feels bad that she can't always give me what I want. There's never any pressure, but I would be lying if I'd said I didn't miss her terribly. We both feel cheated and sad. We're still able to be intimate and we have been able to find a couple of safe positions that work for her, but we have had to give up much of our repertoire in bed. I can still pleasure her with my tongue, my fingers, and gently with my cock, and she can still enjoy it and can still reach orgasm, but I have to be really slow and careful. Sometimes coming can trigger an FND reaction for her. Being careful also means I'm not able to relax like I want to. I'm constantly monitoring, so I often lose arousal. I love giving her pleasure, but she finds it really hard to hold any physical position for long without pain and can't wank or suck me for more than a few moments. My sexual release is now limited to masturbation while she talks dirty to me. I miss being able to let go and lose myself in her. We've also lost the power play we used to enjoy, switching between dominant and submissive roles, as she can no longer dominate me physically or take the lead. We're a strong, loving couple, but we're becoming resigned to things never being the same again, and we feel sad at the prospect of losing this part of our lives together. Have you got any advice for us, Dan? I would particularly like your advice on how I can become more comfortable being 100% the assertive, dominant but gentle leading partner, as this is a role that doesn't always turn me on. What advice have you got for couples who find that long-term illness gets in the way of their sex life? I was talking to an old friend 
an older friend, older guy, married to another guy for a very long time. Recently, we were catching up on the phone and he told me that he had a little project that he was doing at the house that weekend. And I asked him what it was. And he said he was putting the bolts in the ceiling to hang a sling. And I was surprised because I've known these guys for a while. I know them to be pretty vanilla and a sling. It's kind of, you know, a major sex toy. They're expensive, a major investment. And someone who has a sling in their house, you just assume that they're very kinky. Owning a sling, having the hooks in the ceiling to hang a sling, that's hardcore. And I asked my friend, oh, wow, I guess you guys are getting into kink. And he said, no, I can't fuck in bed anymore because to be in the position, he's the top in the relationship, to be in the position where he does the fucking is hurting his hips. He can't be in that position anymore. And they had to be creative about solving that problem, his inability, his physical inability to assume the positions that they regularly assumed when they had anal intercourse was a problem that they had to solve. And they solved it together by doing something that they never thought they would do, which was get online, go to a BDSM shop uh, and buy, you know, spend a thousand dollars on a really high quality sling because he can stand and fuck. He can't kneel squat, uh, you know, missionary position, anal fuck in bed anymore. It's not as big a problem as the problem you and your partner are facing. But what they've done is get creative about controlling for it. And they did something about it. And it, it just seems to me that you sound like such a sweet, thoughtful, loving person. And your partner is lucky to have you. And you're doing everything that is possible to maintain your sex life. Just as my friends who got the sling, you know, age, physical limitations, growing physical limitations, reshaped their sex life in a way that made it sound a little kinkier and more hardcore than I thought they were. But they didn't get the sling because they wanted the sling. They got the sling because if they wanted to continue to have anal intercourse, they kind of needed it. You guys are making changes. You and your partner are making changes to your sex life that were forced on you. Uh, there are new limitations placed on you. And barring some cure or new developments or with your partner's FND, it doesn't sound like there's much you can do other than what you're already doing. Seems to me that the missing piece here is grieving and letting go. Grieving what's no longer possible. Your partner can't suck your cock or take your cock or even stroke your cock for more than a couple of moments without pain. And your partner can't play a physically dominant role as she used to when you guys get together in your sex life. That said, a lot of domination is mental. You know, that cliche about the biggest sex organ being between your ears. A lot of what goes on in a DS relationship is about attitude, dirty talk, control. And she can express all those things verbally. Seems to me that there's all sorts of play DS play that you two could incorporate into what's possible for your partner right now that would be gratifying for you and allow you two to remain monogamous and for you to get your sub 
yayas out to get that itch scratched for yourself. As for everything else, as for what's not possible, what's not possible is not possible. And the workarounds, the loving, compassionate, erotic, satisfying workarounds are the workarounds you two have already incorporated into your sexual relationship. And props to you. That's wonderful that you've managed and that she still desires sexual contact, physical intimacy, physical pleasure, despite the FND. And you guys have obviously done everything you can. And the missing piece here, you know, the reason you're calling for advice is because you haven't grieved and let go of what's not possible and may never because of these growing physical limitations. Time is a meat grinder, man. It makes hamburger out of all of us. It may not ever be possible again. And what you can do now is enjoy what is possible. And you can, at moments, feel sorry for yourselves and feel sorry for yourself, singularly, about what you've lost. And I hope that's something that you two can talk about together without your partner feeling blamed or guilted or shamed for something that she didn't choose and that she has no control over. Before we get to the response calls, we usually read some tweets, but this week I am going to start the tweets with a DM I got on Instagram. Dan, I am sorry to tell you that you have lost two Magnum subscribers. My wife and I have been listening to your podcast for years and years, and you are part of the reason why we felt confident to open our marriage and explore gender. But when you received a call from a non-binary person and you guessed their assigned gender at birth based on their voice, uh, I feel so sorry for that caller being so horribly disrespected. I read that DM 10 minutes before I got a tweet from Michaela D, which reads, wow, at fake Dan Savage, I was the non-binary person whose question you answered this week on the Savage Lovecast. All right, I'm going to pause there to let the suspense build. Was Michaela upset? Are they going to cancel their Magnum subscription too? Was that wow like wow? Or was that wow like wow? All right, back to the tweet. I was the non-binary person whose question you answered this week on the Savage Lovecast, and you were very helpful. You really eased a lot of the guilt and shame I was having, and your advice helped make sense of what I was feeling. I appreciate you so much. And I appreciate you, Michaela. And just for the record, because I guessed this caller's assigned gender at birth correctly, a risk I took because I felt that it was germane because I thought it might be relevant to the caller's distress and I was right. That does not make it okay to guess at the gender assigned birth for other non-binary folks in other circumstances. Dorothea Danks tweets, Savage Lovecast, so sad to hear at Fake Dan Savage advocate for cry it out crib training in the latest episode, ignoring your infant or child's cry, their only way of communicating harmful and cruel. As for the dog, why are you having sex in front of it in the first place? The call was about somebody's dog being upset when they're having sex and I advocated crate training the dog like a crib train an infant. Why were those callers, Dorothea goes on, having sex in front of their dog? Why didn't they stop when the dog got distressed to scar your dog so deeply? It obviously wasn't a one-time event. The solution, have sex elsewhere. All right, I'm not going to go into a long defense of crib training. There are whole books out there about it, but don't have sex at home in front of your dogs. That's your solution. There's a housing crisis. You're supposed to get an apartment just for your dog. 
Look, we have dogs at our place. We don't call them into the room when we're fucking, but there have been times, spontaneous blowjobs, morning sex, times we didn't realize the dogs had wandered into the room. Yeah, let's just say that our dogs have seen some shit. Well, not shit, literally. They've seen some shit, though. And they're fine because we crate trained them. And finally, Squirrel Eye tweets, didn't think I was ready to hear beloved yet avuncular Mike Pesca advice segment on the Savage Lovecast's sex and politics show but was pleasantly surprised to not be squicked out. Well done, Mike and Dan. Two of my faves rolled in to one podcast. All right, if you want to hear your tweet come out of my mouth, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everybody who posted about the show to your social media accounts this week. Help spread the word about the show, and we really appreciate it. And now, listener response calls. I'm calling in response to episode 831, the guy whose dog freaks out over slapping sessions you know a crate is kind of like a butthole you can't just shove things in it you have to wake it up you have to make it enjoyable you have to make it pleasurable so and i've crate trained many dogs use a kong fill it up with bacon fill it up with peanut butter whatever it is and leave the crate door open put the kong in there and let the dog associate the crate as a joyous rewarding place Stay with him. Let him sit there until he's going to be distracted with the crate. Eventually close the door. Eventually lock the door. Walk away little by little. And anytime you feed him, give him a treat, give him a toy, always do it in the crate. And then the dog will associate the crate as, oh, this is a good place. Or just play really loud music in your bedroom while you're having kinky sex and don't let the dog hear it. Dan, that was a wild fucking ride of an episode. Oh, the guy all up in the business of his friend's marriage, non-marriage, I don't know. It reminded me of listening to the drama my five-year-old comes home with from school. I was tempted to just shove a snack in his face or shout, Oh, look, a, a bird! Just to stop myself from ripping my own ears off. And that woman who was wondering if she should see the fucker again who basically told her she's a dumbass. Ma'am! Miss Lady! No! Don't put up with that level of twattery even if you're isolated and lonely get yourself a dog maybe the stressed out dog from the previous fellow who couldn't figure out how to close a door or go bang elsewhere i I don't know how you do it dan we don't deserve you hi dan this is a comment for the caller who was nervous about going to see her younger brother and to kind of have conversations with him about the world that he's growing up in and the conservative Christian family. Totally agree with her presence being such an important aspect of that. And if she's going to have a direct conversation with him about this, absolutely recommend just asking questions rather than giving him a lecture. Don't go and just tell him this whole other side. He, as a teenager, is just not going to listen to that. I'm absolutely the kid who grew up in high school going to pro-life marches and being really deep in religion and then started going to college when I was older and had people asking me why I believed certain things, prodding into my core beliefs, but not lecturing me about it. And through the course of college, have completely done a 180. And I'm now also volunteering for Planned Parenthood and organizing to protest overturning Roe. So... It can absolutely happen. It's a long game, not a short game. Give him space, plant seeds, and then let him come to his own conclusions. Good luck. And we're going to leave it there. 
Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Record your question or your comment using the Voice Memo app on your phone and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com or you can call us at 206-302-2064. And in my column this week, why is Grandpa posting his feet pics to a gay foot fetish website? Read all about that and more in this week's Savage Love at savage.love slash savagelove. And the final screenings of Hump 2022 Film Festival are tonight and tomorrow night in Los Angeles at Dynasty Typewriter. There are a few tickets left. This is your last chance to see Hump 2022 on the big screen. We're also streaming the show this weekend and next weekend. And Hump 2022 goes into the vault. Go to humpfilmfest.com right now for tickets and streaming links. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Julia Simone Fogelson on Twitter at Julia underscore Fogelson. And follow and fuck with the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth on Twitter at LoveCastTSARY. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Artunian. And me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy, we will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.